I'm willing to bet that I'm the only chief financial officer of a rehab organization that started as a patient. I was 25 years old, uh, having the time of my life in Lake Michigan and took an unfortunate dive into a wave resulting in uh, instantaneous paralysis and the realization that I was then drowning. Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Be Advised, where today we're meeting with Ryan Pavin, Chief Financial Officer of Mary Free Bed, to discuss ways you can rev up your inpatient revenue. Healthcare costs have escalated over the last few years given labor shortages and inflation. What hasn't changed is the need for high quality rehabilitation. There continues to be an increasing number of individuals who require rehabilitation. Health systems have been faced with a challenge and we're working to balance the escalating cost of care with the demand for services, as well as proving value when bundle payment initiatives and regulatory agencies are focusing on decreasing post-acute spend. My name is Joyelle Pavey and I serve as the Vice President of the Mary Free Bed Advisory Group and I'm also the host for today's podcast. Ryan, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you for having me, Joyelle. We are so excited to hear your perspective today and understand your personal connection to Mary Freebed as well. So before we dive into financials and bottom line, I really think it's important you have a way of connecting our our, our mission personally and professionally to the work you do. Um, and you also have a unique history with Mary Freebed. Would you please share your story with our listeners today and how you came to be the chief financial officer at Mary Freebed? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. I'm willing to bet that I'm the only chief financial officer of a rehab organization that started as a patient. And so I came to Mary Freebed in 2010, actually as the product of a, a spinal cord injury, an incomplete C4 injury. So I was 25 years old, uh, having the time of my life in Lake Michigan and took an unfortunate dive into a wave resulting in uh, instantaneous paralysis and the realization that I was then drowning. I didn't really have anybody around uh, immediately that could help me, couldn't yell out, um, you know, that there you were, totally helpless, and thought to myself, oh God, I'm drowning, and I hope Jessica sees me. And Jessica was my very strong triathlete girlfriend who ultimately did see me, but saw me floating unconscious and lifeless in Lake Michigan, and hauled, uh, hauled me to the beach screaming for help. Fortunately, I've got an incredibly fortunate group of people around me. One, a nurse who immediately triages the situation and starts CPR on me. And then family that, you know, kicked into action, ran up the beach stairs, uh, called 911, uh, grabbed other people that could help, and then for about the next 15 or 20 minutes, as the story goes, was supported with CPR on the beach until a sheriff got there with medical supplies. Fortunately, Jessica's dad, an anesthesiologist, uh, a career anesthesiologist, springs into action and says, give me the medical supplies, he's dying. And he actually intubated me on the beach or I wouldn't have made it uh, before the paramedics even got there. Fast forward, you know, uh, a couple of hours, uh, nobody knew what had happened. I was triaged at the local hospital and then transferred to the level one trauma center. And they started putting me back together. 
I didn't remember the first couple of days. Uh, Of course, had surgery, was on a ventilator, recovering from drowning. But I opened my eyes and I saw a whole room full of people. And I thought, oh good, I made it. But this can't be good. And I mouthed the words to my brother, will I ever walk again? And he said, I think he's asking, will he ever walk again? And then somebody must have given me some more drugs because I don't remember anybody asking me and I don't think they wanted to answer. Uh, A couple of days later, you know, I sort of came to and I have more memories and I had my prognosis, which wasn't good. But I wasn't really willing to accept that, and I fought like heck uh, in acute care, and I asked for the most kick-butt place to go do my rehabilitation that uh, I could find. And I may have used different language at that time because I was very motivated and I had this incredible support around me, and nobody knew what my potential could be. Amazing. And so what, what, what happened next? Where'd you go? So an incredible group of people sort of rallied around me in acute care from Mary Freebed, and they said, you're going to Mary Freebed. And I thought, okay, Freebed, the price sounds good. Um, (laughs) And I had some experience and knowledge of what I was in store for, but had no idea how hard and comprehensive, how hard physically the next couple of months would be, but how comprehensive and special a place I was going to for rehab. And so I mentioned that I had a little bit of experience um, understanding rehab because actually um, my brother had Guillain-Barre when he was in high school and I'd watched him go through rehab at another program and I thought, okay, you know, this is like the, the trenches of getting your life skills back and I knew that's what I was in store for, but obviously a much different devastating traumatic injury and there I was, okay, transferred to Mary Freebed, this place. I didn't really know or understand what to expect because it was totally different than anything I had seen before. And I s- distinctly remember the moments rolling through the door where all of a sudden you were in acute care. And acute care is all about not dying and not getting sicker. And you roll through the doors of Mary Freebed and the environment, the colors, the people, the energy, it's about getting better. And that was a total mind shift. And I was, it was totally motivating to me. And so from that day forward, uh, the end of September in 2010, uh, to the middle of December, I worked my butt off every day to beat all the expectations of my clinical team, which were comfortable and capable in my wheelchair because I had literally only the function of one arm. Two and a half months later, these incredible clinicians and incredible teams around me, I walked out of Mary Freebed on my own two feet and asked Jessica, the one to pull me (laughs) out of the lake, to marry me and haven't looked back since. So it's a crazy story with a happy ending. 
Oh my gosh. And Jessica's equally as amazing as, as you are. We've all met her and she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. And uh, just meeting both of you, how how kind and compassionate you are um, is really why we wanted to have you on this podcast because you're a CFO with a mission and the mission isn't necessarily always about margin. You know, we wanted to talk to you today and, and give our listeners some tips on how they can maximize their inpatient revenue and how they connect that greater purpose to the margin. One of the first questions that I have for you and I want to talk to you about is, you know, what are the top key initiatives today without jeopardizing these mission, vision, and values? Yeah, great question. The good news for those of you listening out here is actually, you know, the mission in an earth and margin really go hand in hand. And so, we are in a unique slice of the healthcare spectrum. We are not serving all of the patients out there that are appropriate to come to us. So the number one thing that we can do as EARF programs and EARF leaders is to go out there and serve the patients that should be coming to us. And so program after program, when we're out there looking at opportunities or we're consulting or something like that, we see unmet need in communities. And it's it's unmet traditional need, but we need to think about ourselves a little bit different. As an industry, I think our future is in growing up, serving more acute patients. Acute care is totally strapped to serve highly complex, high-need patients, and we're quite capable of doing that. And so I think the number one initiative that we're focused on at Mary Freebed in the Mary Freebed system is creating capacity to serve highly complex, highly acute patients, and then making sure we're going out there and casting a wide net to find those patients. So Ryan, I think I think you nailed it, right? We're in an environment, we know there's a need to serve more medically complex patients in inpatient rehab and kind of change maybe the scope of our services and go a non-traditional route. But I think what many people experience are, we are in a huge labor shortage. How do you serve more medically complex patients with less and drive those operational efficiencies? How do you do that? How do you balance that clinical complexity with the financial demand? You know, what are you, what are you seeing that Mary Freebed is doing differently that it's allowing us to serve these patients, attract the quality staff in this this labor short environment and get those economies of scale and those efficiencies? Yeah, really good, really challenging question. I think we can look around um, both in healthcare as a whole and in post-acute care specifically at some benchmarks and, and sort of use those as indicators of the future. Gone are really small acute care hospitals, community hospitals. We've seen so much consolidation in services and in acute care that it's because you need scale. We can't have 100 CEOs and CFOs when we can only afford 10 or maybe 9 or maybe 8. And so there really is there is truth and, and we have to, as administrators of healthcare systems, find those economies of scale where they're appropriate and still meet the needs of, of all of those patients. Uh, an example post-acute care uh, focused is take LTACs or take skilled nursing facilities small is gone. Small is a thing of the past. And so at Mary Freebed, we've been very, very intentionally focused 
on creating a destination hospital in Grand Rapids uh, for quaternary, tertiary quaternary type patients for highly, highly specialized programs, and then building regional programs that, that are both triage centers for that, but treat appropriate diagnostic groups and, and patients in the community where they have the community resources that they need. I think we have to find that balance in, in all markets and understand that, you know, there's no substitute for uh, doing this at scale and doing this efficiently. We are largely a people business, and so the majority of our expense profile is in people. We don't have super expensive drugs. We don't have super expensive technology other than the buildings that we're delivering these care. We're not an ER. We're not surgeries. And so how can we look at the people aspect of our business differently? And I say that both, you know, in administrative support type functions, but also do we have all of our physicians and advanced practice providers and therapists and therapy assistants and technicians and nurses and nurse techs all pulling in the same direction, working at the top of their skill set and the top of their license to get people functional. And I think if we really look hard at that question, that we have opportunity to improve there. You are listening to Be Advised, our Mary for Bed Advisory Group podcast. Today, we're meeting with Ryan Pavin, Chief Financial Officer of Mary Free Bed, to discuss ways you can rev up your inpatient revenue. If you'd like more information, please email us at advisorygroup at maryfreebed.com. Now, you kind of said something about we're not that expensive, us being inpatient rehab. Now, there's some smaller programs out there that would, would argue the cost of some of our rehab equipment today is very expensive. But just to clarify, what you're talking about is aligning your people resources appropriately so that you have additional dollars and money to spend on equipment and DME needs and other needs um, of your facility. So it's really about utilizing your staff efficiently, making sure, like you said, performing at top of the license and just that your resources are in the appropriate locations. You get those economies of scale through our network where we can run referrals at a a regional approach to referral management. Physicians work as a team across the network. Things like that really help drive your your efficiencies and and allow you then to have that money to reinvest in your, your programs. Couldn't have said it better. You know, Ryan, one of the things that we hear you talk about a lot is revenue cycle. So for non-finance folks, can you describe some of the complicating factors of revenue cycle management, what it is, what's complicated about it, how does it differ from inpatient rehab than acute care? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, revenue cycle is funny because as soon as you say it, people automatically think, oh, you're going to send me a bill. Um, I think about it totally different. You know, revenue cycle to me really is the process of managing potential patients, turning them into our patients, and then making sure we all get paid appropriately for the services that we provide. And so revenue cycle really starts at the bedside or referral to inpatient rehab or outpatient rehab services because the clock starts then. 
And so people have benefit eligibility issues. We have the opportunity to serve patients quickly when they need us, and we have to be efficient as providers in turning those around so that we maximize benefits and we maximize the potential of the patient serving them when we need when they need us. And so revenue cycle really starts at our front door, making sure that we have open processes and people to get people into Mary Freebed and that everything is seamless from there on out. So referral management, scheduling, integration with um, either self-scheduling or apps or MyChart or whatever your EMR is so that patients uh, can receive pre-appointment information so that they can communicate with a provider so that we can get authorizations appropriately with their insurance card and their driver's license. All of that stuff happens before you even see the patient and that can make or break the experience. It can also set the table for either getting paid or receiving a denial. So then when you deliver a service, okay, how efficient is the technology? This is all still under revenue cycle to make sure that you have appropriate charge capture, accurate, compliant charge capture, so that it can go to coding appropriately, so that from coding it drops into the right billing queue. From the right billing queue, it goes out not two months from then, but two hours, two days. Does somebody even have to touch it? Okay, that is all revenue cycle components that result in shortening the time frame from uh, receiving a potential patient to serving a patient and delivering a service to collecting for a service and making sure it's all accurate and efficient along the way. So many people miss the mark on the need for a fluid revenue cycle process, right, without barriers. So what tips would you give um, to directors and managers from inpatient rehab to outpatient rehab on what are the most important parts of the revenue cycle? What do they as direct um, leaders of, of the operational components of our business need to understand about revenue cycle? Yeah, good question. It is incredibly complicated. And so we are accepting, you know, referrals and, and patients and people from a thousand different referral sources with a thousand different benefits. And there's really, I I tell our teams this all the time, that we're shooting for perfection. And yeah, that's challenging, but there are that many people that need to come to us that, you know, do you go to a restaurant twice if you get terrible food or terrible service? No, you don't. And so would you go to a provider again if you don't have a great experience? And so... I tend to break it into maybe two, maybe three uh, big things. One is it's a people-centered business right now with a technology backbone. And so are our people on the right, you know, seats on the bus? Are they trained and efficient at what they're doing, whether that's referral management or scheduling? Do we have good procedures and efficient practices to manage those things? Because our clinical teams are only as good as our administrative support teams. And so they can only be as efficient as the schedule is. We can only collect in revenue cycle billing as clean as the claims are, as quickly as documentation gets done. The backbone for that is the EMR. And so we have to look really hard 
at the EMR, charge capture processes, work queues, flows, all of that, and then the assisting technology. You know, there's lots of plugins that can make things easier for patients, for analyzing claims. Um, I think you have to sit back and do a 360-degree review of are your people processes optimized and is your technology optimized? And then you have to, the answer is no in every case. I'd say we're high performing, but we still have a long ways to go because the environment is changing around us. Technology is getting better. We could make things easier for patients. We could make things easier on ourselves. And so then after you do that review, you have to take the results of that and say, okay, where am I going to get the highest impact? Um, You know, this is a challenging process. Okay, I can get 20% more efficient if we spend the next, you know, 10 weeks and $10,000 fixing that. Okay, that's a high priority. We're constantly evaluating our opportunities and priorities to streamline our revenue cycle process. Absolutely. And I've seen some of those processes roll out at Mary Freebed. And I think what's important here is that we emphasize what directors and operational leaders can do to support these functions of revenue cycle. And and you touched on a few things, documentation, right? Timely, complete documentation, appropriate charge capture. I just want to kind of reemphasize that ensuring that scheduling happens appropriately and that you don't have these delays to patient scheduling. And so those are things that operational leaders, if they want to help drive a fluid revenue cycle, really need to be focused on. Totally agree. I've seen this structured in different ways at different organizations. Sometimes revenue cycle, in particular access, is located within operational responsibility. Sometimes, oftentimes, it's located within finance. We've, you know, sort of thrown both of those schools of thought out and say, look, we're only going to be successful together. And so we actually um, appointed dyadic leaders, one from operations and one from sort of traditional revenue cycle finance departments. And we said, we don't know what we don't know about how clinicians work. And clinicians don't know what they don't know about the revenue cycle processes and the things that it takes to get services authorized and deal with the back end, you know, insurance aspects of it. And we've been a lot more high performing since we've done that. I totally agree. Um, just seeing the process roll out at Mary Freebed and the amount of individuals that are on the front lines that you're engaging in this process. You know, one thing that we didn't talk a lot about, you you mentioned it as we're talking about revenue cycle, but coding. How does coding and audits for that matter, because you know, there's facilities out there facing the review choice demonstration and you have rack audits and all kinds of things that tie up your ability to bill a claim or get paid on that claim. But how does coding and how do audits impact revenue cycle? And what do um the operational leaders need to be aware of? Yeah, another really good question. I think that goes back to one of the first things that we talked about is we have to know and understand that the environment that we're operating in, especially when it relates to inpatients, is totally burdensome, totally complex in regulatory requirements and documentation requirements that to get that right every single time which we have to do, and to not have the expertise is going to be nearly impossible if you're a small, if you don't have scale. 
And so that's been one of the biggest benefits with the growth of the Mary Freebed system is we have those resources for a system and we can support our smaller programs with a lot deeper bench of expertise when they see an audit or when they need a, a process improvement so that X, Y, or Z revenue cycle process is affected. I think that's one of the hidden benefits of system relationships, partnerships, and that we've demonstrated through Mary Freebed that, okay, these are a lot more seamless and there's a lot more resources, you know, not only for the future, but to respond to the existing compliance and regulatory environment. I think that we have to have benchmarks and expectations, and this is maybe not only coding, but revenue cycle as a whole is we need to boil this down into a digestible scorecard and metrics. It's when I said we're shooting for perfection, we're shooting for perfection on, you know, a thousand different processes that need to happen. But can we distill those into these are the five really important things? And if the team as a whole gets these five important things done right, then, you know, referral can focus on their five elements to get their part right. Uh, scheduling can focus on their five or 10 processes to get their part right. At the end of the day, coding in each function along the revenue cycle, if we're really laser focused on just a handful of metrics that we can measure every day, every hour sometimes, then we're gonna be successful at sort of the, the five overarching goals. And I think that's really important to break it down into digestible pieces at each step along the revenue cycle process. And that relates back to sort of your initial question is, you know, how are we going to be successful in these changing environments? They're constantly changing. But if we know what points along the revenue cycle it's going to affect, we can adjust, adapt processes, and not totally throw our metrics out or recreate uh uh, recreate something. We're, we're adaptable along the way. I want to just kind of open this conversation up for, for you to share any last final words of wisdom for the people that may be listening. In your mind, what's the number one thing they can do to increase their revenue for their inpatient rehab programs? I think I certainly know the answer to this, but I, I want you to just restate the purpose. I think, again, you're that CFO that connects margin to mission. And, yeah. and it matters to Mary Freebed in our philosophy. Yeah. At the end of the day, we have to, our, our number one focus and our number one attention has to be on finding appropriate patients and being accessible to them. So we have to be a household name. They have to know, associate that name with easy to access, high quality, affordable care. And then it's our job, you know, as, as administrators and clinicians to make sure we're supporting that proposition all the time, every day, every patient, every diagnosis, everything else should be behind the scenes. I mean, this is all very technical stuff. The patient does not care how many uh, work cues their claim goes through <laughs> if it gets administered correctly. And so if we're really focused on making sure we're accessible and efficient to people and high value, then the rest behind the scenes uh, should just be seamless and, uh, and hardwired organizationally. 
Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. You are such an inspirational leader who every day helps us connect our purpose with our passion. And you're just a very warm and caring leader and the staff responds to you in that way. So many CFOs can come across cold and bottom line and and that's just not who you are. And I think because of, of your experience and your ability to relate this back to the patient and the patient being our purpose, you know, at Mary Freebed and just delivering the best care that we can, it drives everything else, right? It drives the the sustainability of our model. It it drives financial stability over time. And I just can't thank you enough for joining us today, for sharing your story. For everyone else that's joining us today, if you'd like more information regarding anything that Ryan shared in today's podcast, please email us at advisorygroup at maryfreebed.com. And until next time, be passionate about rehab and be advised.